0: Hi there and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm James and joining me on today's episode are Emmett and Anne-Marie from the My Wall Street Analyst teams. Today we're talking about why worries over Tesla's delivery troubles are missing the big picture for the company, why cruise liners like Carnival, Norwegian or Royal Caribbean may be on the way to bankruptcy, and Anne-Marie pitches us Hostess Brands, the owner of the infamous Twinkie.
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Emmet and Marie, welcome to this week's Stock Club. And we're yeah, we're starting off this week's episode as we've started off so many episodes in the past with an update on Elon Musk and Twitter. And there was actually quite a, a flipping of the table or flipping it on its head this week when Musk earlier announced an apparent change of heart and offered to buy the company once again for $54.20 a share, valuing the company at about $44 billion. So pretty much the original terms of the deal. The back and forth between the Tesla CEO and the social media side have been going on pretty much all summer, now into the autumn. The last time I checked in on it, Elon Musk seemed pretty determined not to buy this company. Now, this sudden change of heart, Emmett and Marie, what do you guys think of this? Do you think it's genuine or do you think maybe uh, there's going to be a bit more more to this saga before we can finally stop talking about it?
1: I'd say that his lawyers came to him and said, you're going to lose and you may as well (laughs) save the millions of dollars that this is going to take so that you have millions of dollars to put into Twitter.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To repair all the damage he's done already. Yeah.
2: I saw that he said that he was buying Twitter as an accelerant to creating X, the everything app, and that buying the platform has brought forward this X project of his by three to five years. And in general, the idea of X is a super app which combines messaging and social media and payments and doesn't have any reliance on advertising, which basically is what was done in China with WeChat, which uh, has no equivalent over here in the West. Mm. Guys, what, what would you like to see from an everything app?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm reminded, I'm reminded when, when he said he was kind of buying this or, or decided to buy it for X, I was reminded of a recent tweet by Elon Musk, I think it was about a cyber truck. And he said something about that he was making it, um, you know, making, giving it the possibility to go in water if, if the water wasn't too choppy. And I saw a retweet and someone's like, as somebody who has worked with Tesla before, I can guarantee this is the first that the product engineers have heard of this requirement. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't be betting, I wouldn't be betting, betting my non-existent house on, on this coming true.
1: I think his exact turn of phrase was every cyber truck should be able to temporarily function as a boat. And people were like, Well, any vehicle can temporarily function as a boat.
0: <laughs> well he's not wrong. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be a I, I wouldn't be a person um, betting betting my life on what Elon Musk says is gonna happen happen. But um, that's enough about Elon Musk for a moment, well, for a few seconds, because we're going to talk first today about the automotive industry. Uh, we're still a few weeks out from the start of earnings season proper, but we are starting to see some indications of how the third quarter went for some companies, particularly automakers who are releasing their third quarter um, of the year delivery figures. Um, we've seen delivery totals published in the last quarter from most of the world's most iconic uh, automakers. And they make for quite interesting reading amidst uh, the uncertain climate we find ourselves in now. There's supply chain issues, rising inflation rates. And there's also quite a, a volatile second-hand car market going on uh, in the US particularly, which is kind of spicing things up a little bit. Um, let's go straight back to Tesla first, Emmett, whose stock dropped heavily at the start of this week, making it harder for Elon Musk to buy Twitter, I suppose. But stock dropped at the start of the week after they reported about close to 350,000 car delivered in the last quarter. Um, it's more it's actually more like 345000 excuse me. But what's going on at Tesla at the, the minute, Emmett? What's, what's, uh, why was this kind of delivery total so, so uh, negatively viewed by investors?
2: Well, there's absolutely nothing of substance going wrong, I can tell you that. I think we discussed on the show before the fact that possibly more than any other industry, motor manufacturers are valued more in what they plan to be as opposed to what they currently are. And when yeah. we consider like what really illustrates that to me is when you look at the top 20 car makers in the world in 2021, the league table, at the top of the league, you have um, Toyota followed by Volkswagen and then Daimler and Ford and so on and so on. You go through all the reliable brands like uh, Honda and BMW, etc until you hit number 20. And there you see Tesla. So Tesla is currently, or at least in the year 2021, was ranked 20th by size. Now, when we look specifically at America by sales volume, which is a very good, I suppose, bellwether for the rest of the world, Q3 sales of all cars was something like 3.4 million units. And when we look at the big three brands, what I would regard as uh the quintessential american brands even though toyota's in there general motors in q3 shipped uh 539,000 vehicles which was up 21% uh toyota 513,000 vehicles which was down 9% and ford sold about 437 vehicles 47,000 vehicles hmm. so we're talking about the three big ones are effectively shipping around a half million vehicles per quarter. And that's a number we want to keep in mind when we start to talk about Tesla. So it announced on Tuesday that Q3 sales increased about 16% compared to the year previous, uh, or the the same period a year earlier, uh, despite a larger than expected decline in September. But for the moment, let's just say as I said, these old world businesses, our are, are, are car companies, are shipping a, a half a million cars per quarter. When you look at the sales velocity of Tesla quarter on yeah. quarter over the last few years, because that's all we've got, it's unbelievable. And you know, you hear the ex uh, the expression, "It's an exponential growth." And when people say that, I don't think they really grasp exponential mathematics. But this is exponential; it's utterly amazing. So uh, the company produced a record. Uh, 365,000 vehicles, and it delivered a record 343,000 vehicles, I think. Yeah. Um, and I had a lot of narrative around that. They were almost saying, look, here's why we got it wrong. And I, I have the quote in front of me. Uh, they said, historically, our delivery volumes have skewed towards the end of each quarter due to regional batch building of cars. As our production volume continues to grow, it's becoming increasingly challenging to secure vehicle transportation capacity and at a reasonable cost during These peak logistics weeks. So, what I'd say is if the numbers look a bit low, uh, despite being new records for the company, Mm. that's why. And it would suggest to me that Q4 will have a bump if those challenges are overcome and the backlog is delivered well but we,
0: speaking of q4 there Emmett. um so mm. like tesla have set these lofty yearly production targets and you know to to hit their own targets now the company's gonna have to deliver almost half a million co- uh, cars mm. in the next quarter um, how feasible is that for for tesla
2: honestly i don't know but, but without trying to sound dismissive like who cares yeah. like in the big picture The Tesla machine is really up and running. Mm. And, you know, there's nothing expresses that more than the valuation that the market has put in these companies. So Ford's current market cap is about $50 billion. General Motors market cap is about $50 billion. Toyota's market cap is a whopping $190 billion. Tesla's is $800 billion. And it's back to that thing that the world prices car companies, not on what they are today, but what they will be. In the future, and possibly more so than any other industry. So, you know, when you think of it like that, Q four, yeah, they might figure it. They might have another kind of dip, but ultimately, in the big picture, the sales growth, the delivery growth of this this monster is just really exceptional. And we spoke about Tesla in the early days of this podcast, yeah. where it had delivered, I think it was twenty or thirty thousand vehicles in the quarter, yeah. and we heard. Elon talk about hundreds of thousands. And I think at the time uh we were very skeptical that that the production facility and delivery mechanism could actually ramp to that and very much has done so.
0: Yeah. Henry, I want to throw a question over to you. So Emmett kind of made the comparison there between the size of Tesla's market cap and you know, c- comparisons then to like so Ford and stuff, who produce way more vehicles than than Tesla, but are obviously, you know, one one sixteenth of the size or, or whatever it is, one eighth of the size even. So Are we seeing maybe, is is this a symptom of kind of, there's obviously supply chain issues and and wider macroeconomic issues, but are we also seeing more of a pessimism come into the current market? Whereas, you know, these companies, Tesla's obviously priced for what it's going to do in the future for rather what it's doing now. But are investors kind of getting maybe a little bit sick of what they're going to do and starting to look at what they're doing right now compared to industry compatriots, do you think?
1: Um, it's always kind of hard because Tesla has always been priced with this idea of, oh, one day your Tesla will drive away from you and function as a fully autonomous taxi and generate a bunch of money for you. And Tesla gets to take 15% off the top. And isn't that such a lovely high margin business? You know, um, my issue with Tesla has always been car manufacturing is like one of the most disastrous industries to try and get into. It's a horribly low margin business. It's really hard to scale um, in any kind of way. I do think so. I think the market has always been kind of pessimistic towards Ford. I mean, Ford has always been a kind of stock that's always just kind of muddling along, regardless of what the company does. I think when it announced the EV push, it was very much also kind of taking advantage of the fact that the market seemed to be obsessed with EV companies. We had all these new names pop up, and I think Ford had the legitimacy of an established brand and the manufacturing capability. So I think people were happy enough to say, listen, if this major company is going to pivot into electric vehicles, they might actually be a pretty serious contender. But... I don't think, like, I think the market is pessimistic towards Ford, but I don't think we should count Ford out. I think when it comes to especially kind of sophisticated trucks and that type of thing, I, I think they're going to end up being a market leader. I mean, you can't disregard the fact that the F 150 has always been like the top selling car in the United States. Yeah. And to simply electrify that and sell it as an option, I think, is uh, quite a good idea, particularly when it seems like the Cybertruck is continuously delayed. And it also looks like a transformer. So I don't know how many people <laughs> are actually going to legitimately buy that for the purpose of using it as a truck. So, yeah, I do think the market is a bit down on car stocks at the minute. I think we're we're all a bit nervous of what the market is going to do. I mean, the used car um, market has certainly cooled off. I think we're in the fourth straight month of prices dropping. And uh, that can always impact manufacturers because I, it, there's probably people who wanted a kind of high-end used car who have been priced out of the market and said, right, I'll just buy a new car instead.
0: Mm. So,
1: yeah, I would say – Next while, people will continue to be pessimistic on car companies, but I, I, I don't think I would count out the traditional manufacturers in the face of yeah. Tesla. Yeah.
0: Uh, Emma, a few months ago, Ford had its worst day on the market since 2011 um, after it had cut expectations due to supplier costs. So, look, you know, supply chain issues are a huge problem in the auto automaker industry right now. Do you think this is. For, you know, Anne-Marie mentioned the kind of eternal pessimism around Ford and, and other companies like that. Uh, we think of Tesla, who, you know, is a car manufacturer, but has kind of loftier ambitions and is sometimes, is sometimes valued like a, a SaaS company in some ways. Mm. Do you think this is an eternal risk that you have to consider when investing in a car company, whether it's Ford or Tesla or GM or whatever it is, that, you know, there is physical products that have to be made and, you know, supply chain issues seem to be a constant threat?
2: It will always be an ongoing risk. There's no question about it because we're not talking about simple devices and even mm. the completed product call, uh, product is a is significantly bulky one-ton piece of metal. Yeah. So you do have logistics that are very particular to the industry and there are layers of dysfunction in the motor industry at the moment. And there's also radical change going on in the industry. So when you kind of multiply, uh, I suppose, dysfunction by change, it does make the equation... Uh, quite difficult to actually get a grasp of. Like, for example, there was a Wall Street article over the weekend and it was called, I think, The Next Big Battle Between Google and Apple is for the Soul of Your Car. And it was quite a good piece. And it opened by saying that in a few years from now, in addition to deciding your next vehicles make a model, you'll also have the choice of, am I going for a Google or an Apple car? And other options may just include generic car maker with Amazon Prime Edition. And when you think of the early days of mobile phone, people chose handsets like Nokia or Ericsson. It was kind of effectively a Scandinavian battle of handsets. And it was largely based on the aesthetic. But now phone buyers decide in the vast majority are which operating system they belong to am i an ios person or am i an android person and the decision flows down from that like kind of a movable starting point well i think we're heading that way mm. with cars where if a car is locked into apple or if it's locked into uh, Android or if it's locked into an Amazon operating system or Tesla operating system. I think that an awful lot of buyers will will start at that point. So there's another kind of uh, lever of change, if you like. So we really yeah. are looking at a business that has very, very many layers of change and it makes it very complex. But I do think that the first mover advantage that that tesla enjoyed which is notoriously time limited really does put you out on the front and it's it can be it is as all the strategy books say first mover advantage is only something you enjoy for a few years but clearly uh, tesla uh, is way out in front and all those other makers like rivian and the rest they really are in a pit fight to maintain their relevance and actually ship cars at a level that isn't laughable. I think Rivian just said they delivered six and a half thousand cars. So, like yeah. we're talking about, they're still in their diapers or their nappies, as we say over here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, the thoughts of an Apple car fill me with fear. I can just imagine driving around running low on petrol and trying to find a, a petrol station that has the right input, <laughs> <laughs> the Apple input for your car. <laughs> let's move on then and let's talk about an industry uh, that we haven't spoken about in about two years, which is, of course, the cruise liner industry. In the early days of the COVID-19 outbreak, cruise line companies in particular, like Carnival Norwegian and Royal Caribbean, were amongst the hardest hit as investors correctly anticipated that holidaymakers wouldn't want to spend uh, time on board a big... Ve- Floating vessel of diseases, as as was the case with some of them, and there was like quarantines, and it was it was just like the start of a horror movie, really. So, obviously enough, a lot of these companies shut down, uh, ceased operations completely. The CDC actually even implemented a temporary no sale order for a few months at the very start of the pandemic. But since then, operations have started back up again with with relative normality, I think. But a lot of these companies still look actually worse off this week. Carnival stock sunk lower now than it was in the depths of the first COVID sell-off. So, Henry, I kind of want to, you know, it's not a topic we usually cover. These aren't companies that we usually cover within my Wall Street, but I think it's interesting and I want to kind of, I know you've been kind of looking into it recently. I want to go back, you know, what is going on with cruise liner stocks now that, you know, travel has reopened. A lot of travel-related stocks have kind of got that bounce back again as travellers go around and think of likes of Airbnb and stuff. Why are cruise liner industry? companies specifically struggling to recover?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of reasons. And some of them It's the entire industry, and some of them are are individual companies. It's worth mentioning that the three companies you said at the top, Carnival, Royal Caribbean, and Norwegian, they actually represent four-fifths of the entire industry. They're, by and away, the biggest players. And um, I guess it's worth discussing today because uh, Carnival, after its big sell-off on Friday, is trading at levels below where it was in 1991, which is an astounding (laughs) discount uh, if you're interested in them um, as a stock. And that was kind of an immediate reaction to the fact that they reported they had a much wider net loss than everyone was anticipating and that their bookings for the fourth quarter were below the historic range, and their prices were lower than they were in 2019, which was pre-pandemic levels. Um, And this is obviously pretty terrible because apparently Q4 is typically the best quarter for cruise companies. That's the quarter they just exited. And um, that has meant that basically virtually every cruise stock got sold off. I mean, some analysts were trying to be conservative, and they said, well, Carnival's underperformance may just be a problem for Carnival because it has a bit of an overexposure in the European market, and it seems that the European market has been slower to go back to cruising, whereas the American market... Has been a bit better, blah, blah, blah. But, but really, the absolute foundation of this issue that is impacting all three companies is the fact that they all have massive amounts of debt, like mm. horribly large amounts of debt. And that was incurred during that period of 2020, 2021, when these ships couldn't sail, which I think Emmett said yesterday it's like a million dollars to dock one of these cruise ships, a million dollars a day, which wow. is an astounding amount of money. Yeah. And obviously they had no revenue coming in if they can't sell. So um, that has seen virtually all three of these players double the amount of debt that they're carrying. Um, and that means that at some point they're going to have to pay off that debt. I mean it varies a little bit across the board. So some of them offer, opted to dilute stock rather than bring in a bunch of debt. So Norwegian diluted outstanding sh- its outstanding share count and has moved – by more than 95%. So 90, it issued about 95%, almost a doubling of the amount of stock it had prior to the pandemic. Carnival wasn't too far behind with a 73% increase. Royal Caribbean was kind of the most disciplined. Um, shares only rose by 22%, but it's still not great. So not only do they have stock dilution, they also have this massive amounts of debt. And just to kind of put that into perspective, Carnival really is the worst off. And it's almost okay. to the point where we're saying, is this bankruptcy territory? Because wow. as of right now... Carnival has $4.1 billion of debt maturing in the next 18 months, meaning they're going to need to pay it. And as of right now, their interest expense is equal to 10% of revenues and they have a negative operating income. So they have no money coming in, <laughs> like no money's coming in and they need to pay $12.5 billion by 2026.
0: Wow. Talk so about it's a rock and a hard place.
1: Yeah, pretty bad. And like Royal Caribbean isn't that, but like isn't that far behind. It has eight billion dollars of debt that will reach maturity in the next eighteen months that it needs to pay off. It's just, but it's you, not great.
0: So like, there's obviously the, the debt side of this equation, um, which you know they understandably enough had to take on, um, when they were you know shipped up or or put on hold. But the bookings are down too, or specifically with Carnival, we saw you know they're, they're obviously not making as much money, um, on the top line as they were before too. Do do we think that maybe the idea of travel has changed. I mentioned Airbnb there at the start of this piece, which, you know, obviously obviously benefited massively from the kind of, you know, working from home travel and and this this kind of new face of travel. Do we think, you know, Carnival is is maybe an edge case or a specific case in this, but is the whole industry of travel changing and maybe the idea of cruise liners on the way out?
1: It's actually kind of funny because I went in to try and figure out Right. How did cruise liners do in 2008? Because I was saying, is this a recession per industry or not? And actually, cruise ships did pretty well um, in 2009, 2010. Granted, they had to cut prices by upwards of 15 or 20% to get people on board, but they were typically sailing with 100% occupancy, which is pretty good. Initially, it looked like young people were interested in cruising, that, like, families were still interested in doing this. And kind of at the beginning of the summer, it looked like we were going to be okay. So Carnival initially announced, like, back in June that they expected to reach 110% occupancy for the summer. Royal Caribbean was going to sail with about 100% occupancy throughout the summer. And then kind of in August, it seemed like... Things weren't working out as much, so Norwegian reported that they were only achieving about an eighty percent occupancy rate, and that was only up fifteen percent from the quarter before when they were only hitting about a sixty-five percent occupancy rate. And um, as you mentioned, the the Carnival quarter in question that we keep going back to, they announced that they had an eighty-four percent occupancy rate, so they were missing projections by about fifteen percent. So I do think we are beginning to maybe see the fears of recession, which is interesting mm. because. In 2008, we don't seem to have seen those same reactions. I mean, you can probably argue that in 2008, they had the luxury of saying we can discount everything by 15% and still get people on board. If you are paying 10% of your revenue to debt collectors, you yeah. actually might not be in the position to be able to discount rates by 15%. Yeah. So now they really are caught between a rock and a hard place of how are we going to pay off this massive debt and also continue to get people on board? Yeah. So. Yeah, I would maybe steer clear of Carnival for the next few years.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like. What about you, Emmett? Have uh, you know you, you're obviously longer in the game than than me and Anne Marie. Are have Carnival socks everything you anything you've looked at in the past, uh, and and. You know, Maybe it's a, a silly question to ask, but would it be something you'd consider in the future? I'll consider
2: anything, James. And that's the truth. I ha- I don't, you know, my investment approach and philosophy is to just find winners, which hasn't been an easy game for the last year and a half. And mm. when the coronavirus, there, I'm sorry to mention the word, when the coronavirus crash kicked in the there was categories of stocks that were just utterly thrashed you know like hotels and the likes and obviously i had a very close look at all the big carriers cruise carriers at that time um and they were the least appealing to me at that time for the reasons that amory has just outlined the cost of mooring or docking these ships the cost of 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 diesel um and fuel was on on the up And they kind of, the reluctance of passengers, you know, heavens forbid another thing should break out, but honestly, I just don't like the idea of thousands of people on a big tin can that floats. I'm not into (laughs) it. Guys, I have, I have some cruise facts and fiction here. Wow, somebody came prepared today. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No. I, do, I While Anne Marie was going there, I actually got a few stats from the internet. This is, um, this is the onboard entertainment, Anne Marie. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, do you want to play a quick game of true, true or false? You know the rules, and there's no prize. So, really, honestly, it's just about saving face. Five okay. questions. Are you ready? Absolutely. Okay. True or false? The total guest capacity of the cruise ship industry is almost five hundred thousand guests. True or false?
0: I'd say false. I think you easy. say higher
2: or lower? Uh, I would say higher. What do you think, Emery?
1: Yeah, I would say about the same. That it might be—I don't know. Maybe it is five hundred thousand. How? When you say it's about five hundred thousand, what is our margin of error there?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, give or take a bit.
1: <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, it might be higher. Some of those ships are massive. Yeah. Like really they big. Um, well, Emery, you're also true.
2: You are absolutely right. It's one nil to Anne Marie. It is true. It, the last quarter, the total guest capacity of all the ships in the water put together was a half million. Okay, one nil to Anne Marie. Uh, next question: One in ten U.S. citizens has taken a cruise vacation. True or
0: false? I would say true. Mm,
1: I'm trying to think. Isn't it like? Mm, isn't it like one in? Three Americans don't have a passport, and don't you need a passport to go on cruises? Because don't they dock in like the Bahamas and stuff? Anri,
0: like you are overthinking this. Sorry.
1: Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say false.
2: Well, it is false, but I suppose my syntax was wrong. Dumb. One in four Americans wow. have taken uh, That was kind cruise. of my thinking that it was more. That's insanely high, but that also implies a one in 10. Have. So I'm going to give you a half point, James, and I'm going to give you a full point. <laughs> Anne- simply point, so I
0: love
2: it. Yeah, I know. Okay, third question. Royal Caribbean, the largest cruise liner by passenger volume, true or false? Is it Royal Caribbean? Are they the big one?
1: True. Mm, it's either Royal Caribbean or Carnival. I'm going to go... Uh, I'm going to go False not royal caribbean
2: your inner voice was correct once again Anne marie it is carnival you're on three versus james's half and with five questions james i don't see this working out your way maybe i should number four (laughs) number four one study found that in 2014 cruise ships dumped more than one billion gallons of sewage into the ocean true or false
1: true true
2: sadly true and then finally Oh, it's just horrible. And then that was one of my long
1: term concerns is that they Mm. might be, they might, they might be hit up a huge amount of regulation in the next coming years. I'll be like, Mm. what are we going to do?
2: You'd have to hope. That's not an insignificant uh, amount of waste. So, and then last question, last true or false? There are around 300,000 ocean sailing cruise ships currently in operation, and that number grows every year. True or false?
1: Hold on. 300,000.
2: No, sorry. 300 ocean sailing cruise ships. 300.
1: 300.
0: I'm going to say false. Yeah. I'm like 500,000 divided by
1: 300, but I suppose not everyone's on the same at the same time. Um, I'm going to say true.
2: You're right, Emery. Oh, you scored four <laughs> and a half. Is that right? No,
1: five no, out of no, five. No.
2: Five out of five. I'm so impressed. Well she's, done, she's James. She's an American, on,
0: though. One in four of them have gone on a cruise, so it's <laughs> extremely likely me, she's, she's been on Irish. A <laughs> she's Irish with
2: an American accent.
1: <laughs> to be fair, though, no, I have never been on a cruise. I do not see the appeal of them. No, they seem, do stre- I, they seem I, quite I stressful. I was on
2: one. Nah, no, didn't like thumbs down. Sounds
0: like I recommend two stars. And I only actually recently found out that Disney actually run their own cruises too. Oh yeah. Yeah, like hell, they're a huge. Hell deal. Squared.
1: <laughs> yeah, they make um, a huge amount of money out of those.
0: Yeah. No, wouldn't be for me, wouldn't be for me. Um, Let's move on though, and not just because I lost. Um, So if you follow my Wall Street and any of our social channels, you might have noticed that we've kicked off our very own version of October this week, which is inventively titled Stocktober. For the next month, we're going to post 60 second stock pitches every single day across all of our social channels. These pitches include a wide selection of publicly listed companies, some in my Wall Street shortlist, some not in my Wall Street shortlist, but you can invest in all of them right now. So far, we've already put pitch Lululemon, Manchester United, Neo, Diageo and Salesforce with many more to come. So to catch up on those pitches you've missed and make sure you don't miss out on any more, head on over to any of our social channels right now and catch up on those pitches.
2: Oh, James, can I come in with a shameless plug as
0: well? Absolutely.
2: So I also have started on TikTok. Um, so Nicole has some absolutely awesome stock pitches and I'm pitching as well. It's not as high tech or high touch as Nicole's, but um, over the month of October I'm going to give a whole pile of 20 to thirty second stock pitches on TikTok. And then I'm going to have a league table and start to kind of, uh, I don't know what you call it, duet them or it's it's a league <laughs> table. I'm going to reduce them down <laughs> to my favorite. So, um, so uh, follow me on TikTok. He'll find me. It's just Emmett Savage. Uh,
1: I would also like to pitch something (laughs) that is unrelated. It is, of course, today. Well, today is Wednesday, but Friday when this goes out, it will be day three of Fat Bear Week. So make sure you're going (laughs) to explore.org backslash Fat (laughs) Bear Week to vote for the fattest bear this year. (laughs)
2: <laughs> We're really getting a okay. lot off our on, chest here Social on future uh, episodes, unloading.
0: I'm the only one Allowed to uh, do promos <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good though So yeah, make sure to check out October. Check out Emmett's TikTok uh, at, at Emmett Savage or at Emmett L Savage
2: No, it's Emmett Savage, Emmett Savage. I got Savage. rid of the L
0: Okay, nice. no good. need for mystery
2: What does
1: the L stand for?
2: I'm not saying that, that's a security question Oh
0: okay,
2: sorry <laughs> I'll ask you after and, uh, yeah, it's, lean.
1: For- it's
0: lean, it's lean don't forget about the fat bears either. Uh, let's move on then, Mailbag. And Emma, since we have you on the podcast this week. We've got a question that came in specifically for you. So obviously, you've been a big follower of Netflix for most of your investing life. Uh, and we've had a lot of questions in recently asking about what your thoughts specifically are on a company's plan to introduce ad-supported tiers to the service. So, you know, we, we've spoken about it in, in in various guises on the podcast so far, but I'm really interested to hear your opinion on this. Um, quite a quite a fundamental change to the idea of Netflix, uh, the point of Netflix, to uh, how Netflix started. What's your feelings on on this this new direction for Netflix as an investor?
2: Yeah, top line don't read very positive. Um, The Wall Street Journal reported their belief that 40 million people could be signed up for the ad-supported option by Q3 of next year. But far more interestingly, there's a research outfit called Omedia that predicts that three out of five Netflix subscribers will be on their ad-supported tier by 2027. Through a combination of the new subscribers and then the existing ones downgrading uh, their their current package to an ad tier. Um, and, and Omedia actually said that Netflix is expected to generate or that they expect Netflix to generate a quarter of its revenue from advertising by 2027. And I think in a world where consumers are hyper price sensitive, I think this move is absolutely the right thing to do yeah. at the right time. So if if you can just put up with a couple of ads, which are customized to your interest, and suddenly that monthly bill is, is cut by 20, 30, 40% or whatever, I just think a lot of people will go, yeah, it's fine. Look, I've, I, I grew up watching TV with adverts. I can do it here and pay less. I think it's the right thing for them to do. And of course, if you have uh, the disposable income and you don't want the ads, you just stay on your old package. So I think it's really smart.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah, really, really interested to hear that. Um, thanks for that, Emmett. So let's move on then, finish out today as usual with an elevator pitch. So uh, I'm going to ask you each to pitch me very quickly, a company. I'm going to pick the my favorite and we're going to hear the full pitch for it. So Emmett, can you go first? What company are you pitching me today?
2: I'm going to go with Vicarious Surgical, which I'd be surprised if any of our listeners have heard of. It's a profitable business. Its market cap is about $430 million and it engages in developing and selling a single incision surgical robot that virtually transports surgeons inside the patient to perform minimally invasive surgery. It has an enterprise value of $295 million. So what that says to someone is that has way more cash than debt. It has a return on equity of 26%, which is way above the magic number of 20. It has 37% insider ownership, and I think is a real hidden gem of
0: the, the med tech space. Okay, interesting. re beat that.
1: Well, James, I would also like to pitch a profitable business that is in the, <laughs> the developing and selling of Twinkies world. Um, I want to pitch Hostess <laughs> Brands, which is kind of an American institution, very iconic, obviously sells the Twinkie, but also the Ding Dong, the Zinger, a Ho-Ho, and the Snowball, which... <laughs> <laughs> Why would you not want to own a stock that sells, has those assets? Like, they own the recipes, the branding, whole thing. Um, it's actually a great business story. They rebounded quite spectacular after 2013. I don't know if you guys remember in 2012, a rumor came out. And it was like Twinkies are going away. They're coming off the shelves because the company was going bankrupt. And yeah. there was this massive run on Twinkies. People were grabbing them off the shelves, sell them for $1,000 on eBay. Well, Hostess is back. Twinkies are back. Everything is fine. Nobody panic. But they've actually turned themselves into quite a nice little gem of a business so it's kind of I don't know I have a bit of a soft spot for them
0: okay Mm. this feels like a pick and shovel pitch you know first you eat the Twinkies then you need the surgery yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) but also Anne-Marie you've gone from Build-A-Bear to Twinkies there's kind of I I haven't quite identified the theme but it's very nostalgic
1: yes the theme is I just think of brands that I'm aware of and then I see Mm. if they're publicly traded that is Mm. That's that's the the strategy. I think the theme
0: is Anne-Marie sees how far she can push this on the podcast before we just say, no, no way. But (laughs) you know what, Anne-Marie, I'm actually going to call your bluff today. So let's get your pitch on Hostess Brands. (sighs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. what, what else? You mentioned a few there for us, non-Americans. <laughs> what, what, what else are they, I suppose, most famously known for?
1: Well, yes, of course, the Twinkies is the most important. And actually, it's their ticker symbol is Twink, T-W-N-K. So in case any of you are frantically Googling at home so you can pick up stock immediately. Um, Hostess <laughs> also owns Vortman Bakeries, which specializes in cookies. Uh, they have a couple other baked brands. there's It's packaged cake. Everything they make is packaged cake or cookies or some sort of sweet. Um, But I actually want to pull a bit of an Emmett today in that I'm just going to tell a story associated with the business, and we're not going to talk about any of the financials. I have <laughs> okay. some financials later on, but I think the story is, is much more compelling. So, um, I, I've,
0: I've noticed in this podcast recently, Anne-Marie, that you just don't listen to my questions. Just answer the questions you want to. So exactly,
1: yes. Well, I've it. prepped a very <laughs> thorough document, and I'm, I have to read through the document. And if you keep asking me questions, you're going to screw up my order. So <laughs> okay, go first. There we go. Okay, so um, hostess was actually founded with its most important asset the Twinkie in 1930 and the reason they founded this sometimes obviously an edible cake truly was because um, there was a baker and he made strawberry shortcake and he needed to figure out what to do with the strawberry shortcake when strawberries were out of season so he's like I'm gonna make this disgusting log and they became super popular in the 1950s Twinkies and Hostess really hit their stride, and they became the biggest packaged cake manufacturer in the United States. In 1971, they released Twinkie the Kid. I don't know if you guys know who he is. He's a Twinkie. He wears a cowboy hat and boots. Kind of like our Milky Bar Kid. Yeah, literally exactly. Very important for American culture. Um, But, you know, 1970s is when people started saying, should we be eating this much sugar? And so the company went through some hard times, particularly because apparently the primary ingredient in a Twinkie is sugar. Mm. So it's not great. Like, um, And then from there, Hostess gained this kind of like hot potato amongst weird American corporations. So the telecommunication company ITT owned them throughout the 1970s. In the 1980s, a particularly large corporation in the United States bought them, maybe a corporation you wouldn't want to be owning the maker of a Twinkie. And that is, of course, Purina Dog Food. Um, owned them in the 1980s, and then the 1990s Interstate Bakeries picked them up, and that the two entities combined became the largest bakery in the United States. They had 58 factories, more than 10,000 delivery routes, and they made 3.2 billion dollars a year in annual sales. That's pretty good for for Twinkies, pretty good. like yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but then, of course, the 90s struck. You know, Kate Moss, the South Beach Diet. Nobody wants to eat a Twinkie anymore, and um, that really just it meant Hostess was just. On, on the brink of collapse all the time. And, like, worse still, the company was pretty awful at operating itself. So, um, heading into the 2000s, all of their manufacturing facilities only operated at a 54% capacity, which is pretty awful. And they were also using a direct store delivery method, meaning that Hostess itself needed to drive trucks to stores every single day to drop off all of the packaged cakes, Whoa. which think of how many Walmarts and Targets there are in the United States. Like, that's an awful. Awful way to do things when you only have 54 factories. Um, It was so bad. In fact, 36% of revenue was going towards delivery. And they're a cake company. Like, just awful. (laughs) Anyway, debt started to stack up. They had all these lofty pension obligations. They had stifling union contracts. And so in 2004, Hostess had to file for bankruptcy. Very sad day for America. And then they emerged from the bankruptcy in 2009, only to once again file for bankruptcy in 2012. And this is when the Twinkie run began. Because everyone's going, the Twinkie's going away. Hostess Mm. is bankrupt end of days but don't worry because there were these two guys named andy callahan and dean metropolis and that is his real name he is yeah. not a super villain metropolis <laughs> like crazy um and basically, he Metropolis is really famous for saving American brands. He saved like Vlasic pickles and Pabst Blue Ribbon. He basically was like, these brands have are so iconic, they just need to kind of be restructured. And he was somewhat right because they took a survey at the time and found that ninety five percent of Americans under over the age of twenty knew who Hostess were. They could identify mm. Hostess's branding and they knew what a Twinkie was. And they were going right. This brand is so famous. Like, yeah, how like, could that, this go out of That's Coca
0: Cola levels.
1: Oof, yeah, that's yeah. insane. Like. So so they were like, okay, we want to buy the brand and we want to see what we can do with this. So they got together and they went to kind of the going out of business sale when the company was being stripped for parts and they were able to buy the Hostess brand – all of the recipes for all the cakes and five factories for $410 million. And it had no employees or anything. And I watched an interview with Andy Callahan and he was like, we would go to tour these factories and they'd have to turn the lights on. And there was just no one there. They were completely empty. They'd been emptied out about six months prior. And they went, okay, we've identified all these issues that the previous company had. We don't have any debt. How are we going to fix this? Like, How are we going to reformulate? And so they kind of turned the whole thing around. So first they revamped the delivery method. They wanted to deliver to store warehouses instead of stores. So, you know, you could, you would just put everything in a centralized Walmart warehouse and then Walmart would be responsible for distributing the cake. Great idea. But does anyone know what the shelf life of a Twinkie is?
0: I would imagine I'm gonna, quite long if there's that much sugar in it.
1: Yeah.
2: Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. It's not even the sugar. It, the whole thing has been designed <laughs> to survive World War III. I'm going to say, I'm going to say five years. Is that a
0: there's, bit over? There's some over movie the where, is it, It's like a post-apocalyptic movie Zombieland Zombieland That's it, yeah Woody Harrelson is obsessed with them, yeah Twinkies, yeah
1: Yeah, but that's It's a myth A Twinkie has a 25-day shelf life
0: Oh Okay, wow Yeah
1: But that's actually the issue because Walmart refused to take the Twinkies with a 25-day shelf life because they said, well, they could sit in our warehouse for 20 days and then we'll deliver Mm -hmm. them to stores and they only have five days left. So then Hostess had to reformulate the recipe to get a 65-day shelf life out of them so that Walmart would agree to take them into the warehouses. So they did that. They revamped the recipe. Now they have a longer shelf life. And then they cut their delivery costs by 20% by doing this simply by making the Twinkie last longer. And then they revamped all their manufacturing facilities to be more efficient and they made the packages smaller – and they relaunched the Twinkie in 2013 and there was so much hype around them that the company made $500 million in 2013 and achieved a 27% operating margin from a company wow. that was straddled with $900 million of debt like two years prior. So was, that's like pretty impressive. It's even more impressive to think that 80% of the f- cakes that Hostess produces are Twinkies.
0: Yeah, I was I was going to wow. ask, um, you know, maybe not to, to get back to, it's not like this is an investing show or anything, but uh, <laughs> I was going to ask, like, how important is the Twinkie to, like, the overall hostess brand still?
1: Very important, apparently. 80, yeah. 80%. Well, that was back in 2000, 2013. G- that 80% James,
2: sorry, sorry, sorry. I have to just say, James, their ticker is T-W-N-K. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hostess brand's ticker is Twinkie.
1: <laughs> All right, here we go. We're going to get into the key key numbers now, investing, stocks. So in 2016, the new Hostess Brands company became public via SPAC, unfortunately. I didn't even know they had SPACs in 2016. But do, doing it before oh, yeah. it's cool. Yeah, there you go. Um, mm-hmm. And the company, when it SPACed, was worth $2.3 billion. So I guess Andy Callahan was f- delighted because he bought the thing for $400 million. Okay, so for today, in terms of numbers, the company has a $3.2 billion market cap. It has $1.25 billion in revenue in the last 12 months, which is pretty astounding, considering all they sell is a Twinkie, apparently. Um, it has achieved eight consecutive quarters of more than 9% year-over-year revenue growth. It currently has a 17% operating margin and a 10% net margin. It has a billion dollars in debt, but $250 million in cash. Andy Callahan is still on the board of directors. Um, and they're highly diversified across the cake segment, they say. Um they're seeing pretty strong growth in their cookies and in their breakfast foods, which please, God, do not eat this food for breakfast. But they have 27%, (laughs) 25% growth in that segment. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I'm just looking at the
0: the stock chart here. Up 20% this year um, and so far. Um, Are are we honestly considering this as an investment?
1: Here yeah, here's the thing. And they completed a $50 million share repurchase so far this year. And they seem to be pretty pretty well-liked by their um, em- employees that twice this year, they gave out their employees $1,000 bonuses for thanking them for continuing to work in the factory during the outbreak of COVID when they, they su- supplied them with safety equipment, but just thanking them for continuing to come in. The issue now is exactly what you just said, is the stock is on a bit of a run. A yeah. lot of packaged food companies were on a bit of a run after COVID because people were forced to stay home and they were buying more food in the grocery store. So a lot of companies have seen success. But- Hostess has kind of been growing prior to the pandemic. Yeah. But currently the P/E is 25, which is higher than it has ever been in the past. So a little bit of a premium. Since the pandemic, the stock is up 130%, which is probably a bit more than we would like. Um, And we might be kind of starting to plateau. So last quarter revenue was up 16%, but 13% of it was attributed to them raising prices because of inflation, mm. which in some ways is pretty impressive to think that they could raise prices. And people love Twinkies so much that they were like, that's fine. Yeah. I'll just keep buying them. So there's only actually a three, there was only like 3% growth in terms of like more people buying up their food. Um, and it's just like a little bit insane.
0: Yeah. Like it's crazy,
1: mm-hmm. right? And they do yeah. have like the tiniest bit of margin pressure right now because of just an increase in raw ingredients, but they seem to be doing fine. Yeah, well, and that's so- what I was going
0: to say. Like these consumer package businesses usually do well through, through periods of, of kind of recession and, and inflation and things like that. So- you know, who who are their competitors, I suppose, um, the likes of Kellogg's and, and P&G and stuff yeah, like they're, that? Yeah,
1: they're the largest packaged cake manufacturer in the United States still today. Wow. Yeah, they control um, like over 30% of the revenue. But like, that's such a weird niche, like packaged yeah. cake. Like, who knew the packaged cake industry was so important to the US? But um, yeah, but the issue is, is that like... Again, even with the diversity within that segment, right, so they got the cookies, they got the Twinkies, they got the Ding Dongs, they got the Ho-Hos, you know, they make the cinnamon rolls for breakfast, the fruit, <laughs> like the fruit pies. You're
0: making some of these names up.
1: No! <laughs> it's like Snow
2: White and the <laughs> Seven Dwarfs. You're yeah, literally yeah. You're <laughs> listing the names of the Seven Dwarfs here.
1: So, like, even with the diversity within the packaged cake segment, like, we still have to hope that cake stays popular. You know, we don't mm, know, like, yeah. are we going into another 1990s, we're not allowed to eat carbs phase, in which case like the Twinkies going to yet again fall out of favor. So that's the thing. Is so they're probably much more vulnerable to eating habits and eating trends. Um, but so shocking to see them turn this around and, and do so well. Absolutely. Very impressive. It is,
2: yeah. I was living in New Zealand during the Atkins diet breakout, if you like, and it was just this craze that swept everybody. And Krispy Kreme at the time were listed – In their first shot. Yeah, and of course, they took it in the neck because the Atkins diet effectively shuttered so many of their places in a a matter of weeks. Mm. Um, I don't know if we're going to see that again, but, you know, what I think Twinkie has that is almost impossible... To fabricate um, is nostalgia, and yeah. you know I'm looking here at Amazon. The rating for Twinkie, and I've tasted a Twinkie, so nostalgia is not leaning in. From my opinion, it tasted like clay. I thought it was horrible. <laughs> uh, but the average, <laughs> the average rating from 2,341 people, so it's a reasonable sample set, is 4.6 out of five. I mean, that's the taste of heaven. And the only way you get a 4.6 out of 5 is if nostalgia. You bite into that thing and Mm. suddenly you're five years Mm. old again. And that is a really difficult thing for a business to even lose. Like, if you think of completely other, like, opposite businesses, like, if you take Take Take-Two or Rockstar's Grand Theft Auto franchise, they are recruiting new fans of that game each and every year but they have in its wake you know people who played it 20 years ago who are looking forward to it and i think that twinkie and all these other businesses that actually twang in your nostalgia strings are really in a strong position like dairy queen which is fully owned by berkshire hathaway it is this even the words dairy queen evoke a nostalgic feeling yeah in someone who drove their in their youth with their folks and got the blizzards or whatever and i i can only presume that twinkie has an indestructible force field called nostalgia and i do think it's been on just looking what i'm looking at here um because i didn't know you're pitching it till now but it was <laughs> uh it's really had the run but it's it's economics are lovely it's a very it's a it's a it's a very nice business and i just for some reason i find it hard to invest although i only want to make money i don't care once it's ethical i don't care what it's but just, I, I don't know, I'd have to get over something
0: So yeah. anne I can't believe I'm saying this But are, are we saying green light for Twinkie?
1: I'm a yellow green simply because the P to E is a bit high. Like okay. I do think it's it's been it's it's been pushed mm. up maybe a little bit higher than it should be. I also think you are correct that if we're heading into a period of economic difficulty, people do tend to buy a packaged food because they want a longer shelf life. Mm. That being said, oftentimes people default away from name brands. Okay. But like I don't think you would want to buy an off-brand Twinkie. I think it would have to <laughs> yeah. come from Hostess. <laughs> and actually Emmett makes an interesting argument with the nostalgia thing because really um Twinkies hit their heyday between about 1950 and 1975 about there that's when um you know it was they were featured on all these kids TV shows and everything but do we think that that nostalgia will will wear away because for example like I have only had one Twinkie ever in my life like it was not this like visceral part of my childhood and so I wonder in Two decades will Twinkies no longer have the protection yeah. of nostalgia. Mm. But
0: people do return to nostalgia during during periods of, of recession and things like yep. that. There's that's been kind of proven across different spheres. Um, Emmett, what do you think? <laughs> will Will we see hostess brands in Horizon anytime soon?
2: No, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what if it had a that's dividend? A... You'd add a dividend. A little bit of a dividend, maybe.
2: No, no. So I, I don't get me wrong. The, the Horizon. Well, I do a shameless plug, but Horizon really is out to find 10 baggers, yeah. businesses that have elements that exist in businesses that we can learn from before they grew 10, 20 and 50 fold. And I, do, I have to acknowledge uh, Hostess brand Twinkie is very, very impressive. It's a $3 billion cake maker Um and I like it. Yeah, I like it. It's a, uh, oh, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't pay a dividend. It actually it does doesn't not.
1: pay a no. I know, which is, I kind of thought it seemed like the type of company that should pay mm. a dividend.
2: Yeah. Right. You would think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, a, a great pitch, Emery, And just like Bill de I didn't see that coming. Very, very interesting. And it's definitely uh, just gone straight into my watch list here.
0: Yeah, and I believe Anne Marie, you've written a, a full kind of first look, um, deep dive into Hostess Brands as well. Yeah, with like
1: even more thing. juicy tidbits of its history. I absolutely. didn't even like touch on some stuff. Like there's a, <laughs> it's great. Like I don't worry. You should. Everyone should should read it, even though you have listened to this pitch. Yeah. Absolutely. Give us a well.
2: keyword. Give us one intriguing keyword.
1: Um, there is a term that pe- lawyers use now, and it's called a Twinkie defense.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Intriguing. Intriguing. Yeah. yeah. Good. Okay. Well, look, I'll put the link for that in the notes for today's show. And that is it for today's show. Um, remember, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer in future episodes of stock Up or elevator pitches if you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter. That's at MyWallStreetHQ. On TikTok. That's at MyWallStreet or at Emmett Savage as, as you heard earlier. Or simply just email us at podmywallstreet.com. At that's P O D at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us and please leave a rating or a review for us on whatever platform you listen to us on. Thanks, a Million, for joining us here today and from the three of us here we'll talk to you next week
2: my business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments then tap to pay on iphone and stripe came along and changed everything